get tonight. I'd like to get through three chapters, but we'll see. Proverbs chapter 9, so we continue our verse-by-verse study in the book of Proverbs. Need a Bible? Just raise your hand. Pastor John, I'll slip you a Bible. And if you're towards the front, there's a few on the platform that you can grab. Turn to the middle of your Bible, the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And we'll start in, in chapter 9, verse 1. Now, um, just a couple things that are taking place. Uh, on Saturday morning, parents, high schoolers, are going for a bike ride. I know there's a cold front coming in or something. It's supposed to bring maybe a little bit of rain. It'll be nice to have some little bit of moisture. And um, I know it's not the best time with harvest time, but uh, at least cooler weather is going to be nice. And uh, what I understand is probably... Thursday and the Friday, and then um, Saturday is supposed to be, um, they've upgraded the forecast to where it's going to be in the 70s, but dry, uh, mostly dry. So that'll be great for the bike ride and parents. So all the information they have up in the youth room is make sure the kids have a helmet because they won't be able to go if they don't have a helmet and water and other things that they're supposed to bring. 745 at the Funplex is where they're meeting. They'll go to about 10 o'clock. And then on Saturday, we have the all-church picnic, and it's going to be perfect weather, all right? It's going to be in the 70s. Uh, usually when we have the picnic, it's in the 90s, and it's hot. But it's going to be perfect weather. It's going to be cool. It's supposed to be dry. We're going to provide all the meat and uh, water and tableware. If you want to bring something to share, that would be a blessing. Let's get together and have a meal together. Starts at 5 o'clock. Address there. It's going to be at the gathering place at Virtus and Amy Banowitz home. And easy to find is you go out to Kersey, take a ride on CR 49. That's the Kingsburg Hudson Highway. And you go for three miles, and it's right there on the left-hand side, CR 49, CR 50. Right, Virtus? Okay, I'm good on that. So it's where we've had it the last several years, and I would love to have you come 5 o'clock on Saturday for the all-church picnic as we end summer because summer's coming to an end, right? And the kids are going back to school. Many of them have gone back this week. Uh, UNC starts on Monday. AIM starts on Monday. And so um, uh, we're going to start a new season with the kids. Please keep the kids in prayer. Uh, I started out the radio program, Calvary Live, uh, yesterday by praying for all the kids that are going back to school. They need our prayers. And uh, the college students going up on campus uh, at Ames Community College, uh, the high schoolers, middle schoolers, elementary school kids, we need to be praying for them as they start a new school year, and we'll do that in just a minute. Um, Other things that are there in your bulletin, take a look at it. Don't forget, guys, men's study is going to start back up. They've taken the summer off. It's Tuesday nights now, 7 o'clock in the coffee shop, and uh, Pastor John's going to be taking you through the book of 1 John. You don't need to sign up or anything. Uh, Just come, bring your Bibles, and continue to learn God's Word. Uh, Other things that will be coming up as we head into September, but you can take a look at that. And there's always things that we update all the time that's on our webpage, calvarychapelgreeley.com. We always uh, try to keep that updated as much as possible every single week. So, Father, we ask that you just bless this time that we have tonight in the study of your word. And, Lord, it is a season where um, we see that the young adults are going uh, to school up at the university and and Ames Community College. Uh, Our uh, high schoolers, so many of them here tonight, going up into the high school room, uh, starting high school, uh, the junior highs, elementary, all of our kids 
uh, whatever level that they're at, that we pray that your hand would be on them, that you would bless them, Lord, uh, that you would help them to have a good school year. And Lord, I pray that um, as uh, they do go to school, that uh, we would be ones that would encourage them and, um, and that, Lord, you would protect them and that you would help them. And Father, more than anything, that the truth of the word of God that is placed in their hearts, that it wouldn't be snatched away. And Lord, that we know there's a lot of world philosophy that's out there and weirdness that's out there that can take them away from you. And Lord, I pray that the word of God would flourish and, and Lord, uh, be a part of our lives, just as we're going to see on Sunday, uh, the, the, the parable of the sower, uh, as the, the sower goes out to sow seed and and that the seed that we sow tonight and every time we meet here would be planted in the soils of the heart of our young people and us in this place, that it may take root there and produce fruit. So, Lord, it would take place, I pray, even tonight as we go through these Proverbs, as we go through your wisdom given to us so we can live a life of benefit and blessing. And we thank you for us being here tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. One of the things that we're going to go over on Sunday, and Sunday we have three services, 8, 9, 30, and 11, if you're new to Calvary Chapel. But we're going to continue our study in Luke's Gospel. And we're going to go over a very important parable. We're going to see the parable of the sower who sows seeds on different kinds of soils. And uh, it's an important parable for us to understand. There's a main emphasis that is in the parables of the, uh, the kingdom of God that, that uh, he gives. It's called the parable of the kingdom uh, in Matthew 13 and Luke chapter 8 and the parables that he gives concerning the kingdom. And in that parable of the sower or the parable of the soils, because the sower goes out and sows seed on different types of soil, the soil speaks of our heart and the seed speaks of the word of God. And so it's important for us as we gather here even tonight as the seed is being sown, that it gets sown into our hearts, that our hearts are always like fertile soil, that it may receive it. Because we're going to go through these proverbs, these wisdom uh, of God's word that is given to you and to me. And I pray that we would receive it and that we would really uh, have it in our hearts because our lives are going to be benefited and they are going to be blessed. And as we've gone through the book of Proverbs so far in the first eight chapters, we've seen that the emphasis as Solomon is writing to his son, he is inspired by the Spirit of God, that you are to embrace wisdom. You are to be one that you are to continue to seek wisdom. You are to uh, know the value of wisdom, the excellence of wisdom. And as we continue here in chapter 9, that he's going to to emphasize the way of wisdom. Let's begin to look at that in chapter 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house, and she has hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat and has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. Verse 4, whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. Now, we see that term simple. It simply means one who lacks understanding, one who doesn't have godly wisdom, one who needs it. You turn and hear. This is the place for you to come 
come and seek wisdom and to hear wisdom. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, come and eat my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed and forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. So here in chapter 9, first of all, in the first six verses, wisdom says to you and to me, come and dine. In other words, in this poetic language, remember we're in the poetic books of the Old Testament, so there's a lot of poetic language that is being used, and we see that uh, wisdom is likened to a table that is furnished with meat and with drink, and, and wisdom offers you a banquet of bread and wine, and wisdom promises you abundant life and, and joy. And the great thing about it here is what we are being told is all of us are welcome to come to this banquet. No one is excluded from coming to eat and, and drink of the wisdom that the Lord has for us. And of course, Jesus, he would say in John's gospel, come and eat and drink of me. And what he's saying is come know me. And as you eat and drink of me, as I'm the, the living bread that comes from heaven, the bread of life, and as you believe in me, uh, you shall live a life everlasting. And we know that Jesus would say, I'm the living water, as he would tell that Samaritan woman, that if you drink of the water of the well, you're going to thirst again. But the water that I have to give to you is living water, and you'll never thirst again. And that invitation is given to every single one of us that we can come. And that's the great thing about uh, the Lord. He invites all of us to come and to receive him as Lord and Savior, as we know that Jesus died for our sins, rose again, and he's the way to salvation. But then to also to know him and to grow in his ways. And that's godly wisdom. And all of us, we have God's word that's here, given to us. And we can grow in wisdom. It's like a banquet table, isn't it? Taking on the meat of the word, you know, taking in of the word of God as, as we feast on it and we can never exhaust it. And I commend you for coming out on a Wednesday night and going through the scriptures as we go through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse and line upon line and precept upon precept. We're feeding upon the word of God. And sometimes people will say to me, Pastor Jeff, you know the word of God. You know so much. I, I know that I need to keep studying. I need to, to, to continue in the scriptures. There's so much that I don't know. But you see, God's word is not only for me to understand, it's for you to understand as well. So we can come and we can uh, learn of the wonderful things uh, that is told to us, how we can live in godly wisdom, and it's available to whoever seeks it, and we can gain understanding. And then verse 6, Solomon kind of, as he's telling us to come and dine, he says, forsake foolishness and live. I don't think any one of us here in this room, if I was asked, you, do you want to live as a fool? You don't want to live as a fool. But yet, if we forsake God's word and go our own way and go by the way of the world, the world is getting more foolish, isn't it, and more weird out there. And he says, forsake foolishness and live. And what is being said by that is that as we come to Jesus Christ and embrace him, we are going to live unto everlasting life. That's a promise. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus said that I came to give life, but also life abundantly, didn't he? And you and I get to experience life and live life the way it was meant to be, a life of joy. We get to have a life of comfort, a, a life of strength and, and walking in true wisdom. We don't have to walk in darkness. 
We don't have to walk in confusion or be in bondage to sin and, and corruption. And we get to really live life and enjoy life. And that's what the Lord desires for us to do. So come and dine in verses 1 through 6 and then verses 7 through 9. Come and receive as we continue in verse 7. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. And he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he uh, will be still wiser. And teach a just man and he will increase in learning. And so come and receive. A, a scoffer is one who will not receive the wise counsel from anyone. And I think that uh, most of us, if not all of us, that we come across somebody who scoffs at God's word, who puts it down, who doesn't want anything to do with God's word. And here the, the psalmist or the uh, Solomon here in the proverb is saying that you correct a scoffer with God's word. He's not going to, you know, um, receive it. Um, the one who desires to grow and to know God's wisdom will receive correction and rebuke, and they're going to love you. They're going to appreciate that. They're going to be thankful for that. But a scoffer is going to blast you and come against you. So a wise person, listen. A scoffer, as we go through Proverbs, we're going to see that a scoffer is going to be linked to somebody who has pride. And a pride is going to be linked to somebody who, you know, is one that walks in foolishness. And all these things are linked together. And the one who is wise is going to be humble. And the one who is humble is going to receive godly wisdom and is going to be blessed and benefited because of that. It really takes humility, doesn't it, for us to receive godly wisdom and correction, uh, for us to continue in God's word and to humble ourselves before God and say, I believe your word and I believe what your word says is true and the way that I'm to live, that I am to receive that and have it be worked out in my life. But it takes humility in doing that. And one who says, I want to continue to do that, and you'll be blessed because of that. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. In other words, here in verse 9, as we read, that we're to continue to grow and receive wisdom. And then in verses 10 through 12, not only are we to come and dine when it comes to wisdom, and come and receive, but then come and live, as the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, and you are wise for yourself, and if you scoff, you will bear it alone. So come and live. You will live a life of blessing. And in chapter 1, you recall that we read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and now the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And again, when we read that fear of the Lord, which isn't really talked a whole lot about in the church today, it's talking about having a reverence for the Lord. It's not talking about an unhealthy fear where we, you know, tremble before God and we're so afraid. Because I've t talked to Christians that, you know, they don't understand the grace and the love of our Lord. And they have this unhealthy fear that God just wants to zap them and judge them. And, and anytime that they make a mistake, rather than the Lord, he wants to forgive. He desires to correct out of love. He desires for you to do well and wants what's best for you. And you see, the fear of the Lord is realizing that we believe in a holy God who created heaven and earth and created us. He's an awesome God. There's none like him. 
and, and I reverence him. I revere him. And that's what the fear of the Lord is, is the beginning of knowledge to know him and the beginning of wisdom to walk in his ways. And of course, Colossians chapter 2 tells us, Paul said, in him, that is in Christ, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the godly wisdom and knowledge that we need is in Christ. Found in him comes from him. And, and we are to go to him to receive that knowledge and wisdom. But it takes a heart that says, Lord, your word is true. And I reverence you. And Lord, I, I want to know you. Because you are true. And you're righteous and in everything. And your word is true. So come and dine. Second of all, come and receive. And then come and live. And at the beginning of wisdom, um, the scoffer, you know, is, is uh, the fear of the Lord uh, is the beginning of wisdom. And then the scoffer doesn't fear the Lord. In verse 10, we have the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord, uh, having the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Um, and the way to know the true and the living God is through the pages of Scripture. And then we see that we will continue as um, the chapter ends by the way of the, the foolish one. A foolish woman is clamorous. So again, he's using poetic language. She is simple and knows nothing. For she sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. So notice here this phrase once again. Here is the foolish woman. Here is foolishness of the world. Here is the foolishness of whoever that is going to call out. And to one who doesn't know any better is going to say, come, you know, here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. So we see here that we're being warned. And the Bible warns us a whole lot about going after that which is false and going after that which is foolish. And the one who says stolen, you know, water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. In other words, um, there is pleasure in sin and deception perhaps for a moment, but the end of its way is bad news. As he says here, as he finishes the chapter, that her guests are in the depths of uh, of hell. That's pretty strong. He does not know uh, that the dead are there. Um, it's strong words that are here. You know, those who end up living a foolish life, they go through such turmoil and difficulty and hardships because they refuse to turn to the wisdom of God. And you see, I want to bring it home a little bit closer to you and to me because we can sit here and say, oh yeah, you know, the, the unbeliever or the one who isn't a Christian, you know, they're going to go after that which is foolish. But we need to be careful as Christians again because when we go over that parable of the sower, that the seed that fell upon the rocky ground, the seed that fell upon the ground and it sprouted up and then the weeds came and choked it out, you know, there's always these debates. Is it talking about somebody who's saved or isn't saved? And it drives me crazy. Because there's a meaning there that for you and for me, that the cares of the world and the weeds of the world, if you would, the, the, the pleasures of the world can come and choke the word of God out of our lives as believers. And we need to be careful. Or that, that rocky ground as the plant comes up and then all of a sudden it wilts away the one who is led into temptation who says, I'm going to do it my way. 
I'm going to ignore God's word. As Matthew's, you know, version of it says that when the sun came up and the plant began to wilt under the heat, and we're going to talk about that specifically, that the problem isn't necessarily the heat. The problem is the shallow root system. That you don't have your roots deep in the things of God and the word of God that's really gripped your heart. So we don't want to walk by the way of foolishness and adopt the foolish things of the world in any area of our lives. Well, you know, I'm going to go in this area, what everybody else is doing, when it's directly contrary to what God's word has to say. You're going to bear it alone. You're going to end up struggling. You're going to end up to where you find out that it is difficult and there's a deadness that will happen in your spiritual life. So Solomon here given us some really, you know, uh, interesting things and analogies, the way of wisdom to come and dine and come and receive and come and live and be careful because it is the one, uh, the world that's going to try to pull us in to that which is foolishness. And then as we go into chapter 10 here, now chapter 10 is where we really start to get into the Proverbs here and, um, and of Solomon. It's, it starts out the Proverbs of Solomon. And as we go through the Proverbs, each verse is like its own, you know, proverb, of course. It's its own single thought, in other words. So this is where it's kind of hard to teach through Proverbs because most books of the Bible and most chapters, there's a flow to it, isn't there? There's a theme to it. Not here. It's like a rapid fire of Proverbs. All of a sudden, he's talking about the way that you speak. And then the next thing, he's talking about laziness. And then the next verse, he's talking about, you know, how you conduct your business. And it's just a rapid fire of things. And, and so it's, it isn't always easy and smooth to go through it. It makes it a little bit challenging, but we're going to give it a go, all right? And we're going to learn a lot as we go through this. But every single verse is a single thought as we start out that a wise son makes a glad father but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. You know, it is John that would say at the end of his life, elderly John the Apostle and Third John may have been the last book of the Bible chronologically written in the New Testament and all of the Bible. John may have been close to 100 years old, even written it Third uh, John, the third epistle after the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation, he would write as an elderly man, then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John after his exile from Patmos. And John would say in some of the last words that we hear from him that no greater joy than this, that my children walk in truth. And it does delight us when we have children and grandchildren, and, and not just them, but others that are linked to us in our lives, that they're walking in truth. It, it gr- brings us great joy. But it, it, it brings us grief, doesn't it? When we have those that we know and that we care for and love, whether they are children, grandchildren, whether they're relatives, whether they're friends, that aren't walking in the ways of the Lord, that are going after the foolishness of the world, it should grieve us. You see, I pray that we never have the mindset and the heart of, well, that unbeliever or that person who's not walking in the ways of the Lord, it's just kind of harsh and condemning and and in that kind of attitude towards them. But we should grieve and have compassion, shouldn't we? We should pray for them and grieve about the situation that they're in. And it moves us to pray. That's what Jesus did. Jesus there, he saw the multitudes 
like sheep without a shepherd. And he was moved with compassion. And he was moved to minister to them and continue to teach them. It moved them so much that he would go to the cross to die for them. Because we all need to be forgiven. And the only way for forgiveness is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we need to, to grieve for those that aren't walking in wisdom. And, and here as he begins, a wise son makes glad a father. A foolish son is the grief of his mother. And then in verse 2, treasures of wickedness profit nothing. But righteousness delivers from death. And the Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish. But he casts away the desire of the wicked. So true wealth, as we know, is found in wisdom and not the riches of the world. Now, let me say this. It's not a sin to be rich. We know that there are those in the scripture that were very wealthy, like Abraham, David, Solomon, Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea was the one that his tomb that had not been used, that was used, uh, that Jesus borrowed for three days, um, was Jesus' body put into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. We're told that he was a wealthy man. Matter of fact, rabbinical history tells us that he was one of the three richest men in all of Israel, Joseph of Arimathea. So having money and, and being rich is not a sin. But the Bible does say this, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. In other words, it causes problems of greediness and, and turns us away from the Lord. It's the love of money, of earthly manna. And Jesus said, you can't love the riches of the world and love me at the same time. You can't, you know, love them both. You're going to hate one and love the other. So here we know that godly wisdom and our relationship with Jesus Christ is the most valuable thing that we have. And if we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the riches of heaven, right? We are truly rich. And I just want to remind you of that because sometimes we think, how am I going to pay the bills? I don't have two dimes to rub together at the end of the month. And, and I'm so limited. You are wealthy because you have Christ. And that's what makes us wealthy. And we need to keep that perspective. So here again, having godly wisdom um, is, is the, the thing that brings us uh, treasures and uh, where we profit and benefit and the true riches of the Lord is knowing him and walking in his ways. In verse 4, he who has a slack hand becomes poor and the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son and he who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. So the Bible here looking at laziness and irresponsibility. And the Bible always looks at laziness and irresponsibility always in a negative light. We can say very safely, you know, that God doesn't like laziness. And God desires for us to work. And we see that all throughout Scripture. And I believe that Christians should be the best workers that there are, the hardest workers that there are. So work is good. And we don't want to become lazy. And that's something I know as parents that we want to teach our children. We want our children to learn to be diligent. We want them to uh, be hard workers, to be thorough, to be responsible as part of raising our children. And we pray that they are. And those who end up growing up and being lazy just have a difficult, hard time in life. 
And when they don't want to work and there's laziness that's involved, you know, as part of their life and characteristic of their life. So we are to work hard. And so parents, you know, we instill that with their children, with their grandchildren to work hard. And it takes discipline and keep coming at it and for us to continue to work hard. But I want to also, again, bring it home a little bit closer, not just practically and physically working hard, but spiritually. You see, it's very easy for us spiritually to become lazy. Soon we're, we're not praying, you know, having our devotions. We're not coming to Bible study. We're not interested in the things of the Lord. You see, we can become lazy spiritually. And I know that I've become lazy at times. There's been, you know, seasons or times or days where I'm a bit lazy uh, at, at seeking the Lord or praying through things or, you know, searching God's word. We don't want to be lazy. Matter of fact, we know that Paul told Timothy to be one that uh, be diligent, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to continue in growing in godly wisdom and seeking the Lord and knowing him. And we as a church, we don't want to become lazy. And I've said this before. I, you know, it's so exciting to see what God's doing here at Calvary Chapels. The church is growing. We continue to reach out. And, and so many people that are coming and, and new people that are coming and hearing the word of God and really growing. And people are hungry for the truth. And, and to hear what the Bible has to say. And we're to continue to reach out to others, to this community, and be a light to Weld County. And I don't want to get lazy in doing that. And I've told you this before, but I believe the greatest danger to Calvary Chapel Greeley is if we get complacent. That everything's good and everything's cool and, and we're doing okay. No, we want to keep pressing on. We want to keep working. And as Jesus looked at that multitude with compassion, what did he say? He turned to his disciples and he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's a harvest that's out there. And I think about Jesus in John chapter 4 when he was talking to the Samaritan woman about living water. And she goes back to town, to Samaria, and tells the men, I met somebody who knows everything about me. I think he's the Messiah. And as the men of the city are coming up to where Jesus was at Jacob's well, Jesus turns to his disciples and he said, you guys say that harvest is four months away, but I tell you the harvest is ready right now. And those white turbans, those men coming up the hill, as Jesus is saying, look, the harvest is there. The harvest is ready, folks. The laborers are few. And I pray that we would understand that, that, you know, pray for the laborers of the harvest. For you, when you leave this place, you go into your mission field, your light in your workplace and in your neighborhoods and to your families. The Samaritans are ready for that harvest. Who are the Samaritans? We're going to learn this as we continue through Luke's gospel. They were the ones that were despised and looked down upon and ignored. And uh, they were the ones that were treated badly. There's a harvest of those who are ignored. The downcast. The ones that the world looks at as not important. There's a harvest because they're important to Jesus. And the Lord desires to save them just as he saved those Samaritans. He stayed with them another two days and there's a harvest out there. 
And I pray that we never become lazy here. That we're always praying and seeking how we can reach out and give the truth of the gospel to a community that needs to hear it. The gospel that's being heard less and less all the time. The fields are white on the harvest. You know, I'm doing my own devotions in the book of Jeremiah. And you know, the time of Jeremiah, he ministered for 40 years from, you know, the, the time right before they would go off into captivity, Judah, and the destruction of Jerusalem. And as he was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, Jeremiah, he would say, summer's over, harvest is in, and we're not saved. And I think it's one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament. He's seeing Jerusalem be destroyed just as he warned them that if you don't turn back to the Lord, destruction and judgment is going to come. And now it has come and summer's over and the harvest is in and we're not saved. And you know what? The Lord is coming back because he promised that he would. And I believe that as we look at the prophecies of the Bible and we see that they're coming to pass, it's, it's so incredible. Matter of fact, um, I was talking with Pastor John just before service. We were reading an article out of Jerusalem Post how the Russians are flying missions out of Iranian air bases. And I think about it just lining up exactly what Ezekiel chapter 38 declares to you and to me what's going to happen, that maybe the next major war in the Middle East that hasn't been fulfilled. Ezekiel 36 has been fulfilled. Israel has become a nation. Ezekiel 37, dry bones, you know, they come together and the land is flourishing. What's next? Ezekiel 38. And we're seeing the pieces of the puzzle come together. And I'll tell you the truth on this. One of the things that really, when I came out of college and I was a thinker and I was thinking, how do we know that this book really is true? It was the, the prophecy. The prophecies that came true concerning Jesus. That they were fulfilled to the very letter. That it didn't happen by accident and in the prophecies being fulfilled, you know, in the past that were given. And I have confidence that they're going to be fulfilled in the future. No other book deals with prophecy in detail like this book. And it's absolutely amazing. You can read the newspaper, you know, Jerusalem Post or Washington Post and the Bible on one hand, and you see it starting to line up. The harvest is coming. It's harvest time here in Weld County, isn't it? And we know that. We see the corn that's grown, the wheat's been cut. We know it's harvest time, the season, the weather, the time of the year. We know it. We who don't even work the land, it's harvest time. And Jesus would rebuke the religious leaders. He said to them, you can discern the weather, but you couldn't discern the coming of the Son of Man. You should have known. The prophecies were given, over 300 prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus, all fulfilled to the very letter and then we know the prophecies concerning his second coming are going to be fulfilled. And one day, just as we sang tonight, what is called the rapture of the church, when the Lord takes us home to be with him, that there are going to be those who are going to be saying, summer's over, harvest is in, and we're not saved. And it's going to be a sad, sad day Oh, they'll have opportunity as there'll be that last final seven year of tribulation that will come on the scene 
but it will be very difficult for them. And great persecution will come by the hands of the Antichrist. Calvary Chapel, let's not get lazy because it's the day of grace. And let's pray about how we can reach our community for Jesus Christ, how we can reach Weld County, how we can reach this state. And it happens as we go out and minister the truth and the love of Jesus Christ and let them know that he is our hope. Our hope isn't in this world. This world is hopeless. This world is headed to, for a train wreck. And you can see it coming. But Jesus is our hope. And he's the one that brings us a living hope through the resurrection as he rose from the grave. And now we're going to belong to his kingdom. The kingdom is going to last forever. So let's not get lazy. Let's continue on. So laziness here is what we were talking about. And he who sleeps and harvests is the son who causes shame. In verse 6, blessing is on the head of the righteous and violence covers the mouth of the wicked. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. You know, one of the things about um, this chapter here is that this chapter and then the next chapter too, chapter 11, uh, there's a distinction between the wicked and the righteous between the wise and the fool, uh, between the one who's diligent, the one who's lazy. There's all these distinctions uh, that are, are made here. And, and here, the memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. The greatest thing, even as we prayed for tonight, is to leave a godly legacy to our children, to our grandchildren. It's a godly heritage. That's the most important thing. It's more important than leaving a you know, monetary inheritance. And if we do that, that's a blessing. We're going to read that it is a blessing here in the book of Proverbs. But more than that, a godly inheritance, a godly legacy is what we want to leave, right? To our children and to our grandchildren, to whoever it might be. And it's interesting, the memory of the righteous is blessed, the name of the wicked will rot. And, and I was thinking about this because that's really strong language here. I think all of us have spent time and out in a cemetery or a graveyard and you look at a gravestone and there's the name of the person, maybe a little epitaph like a beloved father, mother, something like that. But there's always a date, isn't there? The date that they're born and the date that they die. And then there's a dash in between, right? Life is like a dash. It goes by so quickly. Life is but a vapor, James says. It's but for a moment. And what you do in that dash is what's important. And I pray for all of us that when the Lord does take us home, because all of us are going to die. As I've said, the statistics on death are pretty impressive. Ten out of ten people die. And unless we're raptured, you know, the Lord comes and takes us home that we're all going to face death. And what my prayer and hope for all of us is that we would desire to leave a godly, you know, influence and legacy and inheritance to our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, whoever's linked to us in our lives, to our friends. And you see, it isn't the riches that are talked about. I've done a lot of funerals over 24 years of ministry. 
and then doing memorial services, funerals uh, of, of those who have gone ahead, gone home to be with the Lord. I never, ever hear the children or grandchildren say, boy, they sure left me a lot of money. Or, yeah, they left me a nice car or a nice home. That isn't spoken of. It's never spoken of. It's my dad. My grandfather, he loved the Lord and he loved us. And it showed in the way he treated us, how he spoke about the Lord. Those are the things that are talked about. Those are the things that are treasured, right? So the memory of the righteous is blessed, is what the Lord is saying to us. And our names, I pray, if, if the Lord does take us home, their lives come to an end, that I want people to remember me as more than just, well, here's the pastor that was on the radio, or he had this many people in the church, or he was okay of a teacher. I, I want people to say, whether it's my children, my family, this church family, to say there was a man that loved God. And he was dedicated to teaching the word of God and showing the love of God. And I know God's still growing me in that. He's still teaching me, but more than anything, to leave a godly legacy and inheritance and an influence to the people of my life and link to me in life. And I pray that, and I know that you want the same thing. So here he says, the memory of the righteous is blessed. In verse 8, the wise in heart will receive commands, but a prating fool will fall. And he who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will become known. So again, we've already talked about that walking in wisdom, and it takes real integrity, integrity of heart, to say, I want to walk in wisdom. There's security in that. And he who perverts his way will become known. And he who winks with the eye, verse 10, causes trouble, but a prating fool will fall. Again, that's the second time that we've seen that. The one who winks with his eye, you know? You know that they're up to no good. They're going to cause trouble. They're going to take advantage of somebody. You know, uh, the one who winks. You need to be careful. In verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. I know for me that the words that I speak, in the Bible and Proverbs especially, has a lot to say about the words that we speak. I want to be edifying. I want to be encouraging. I, I want to be refreshing. A well of life. I don't want to tear down. I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be condemning all the time. I want to be a well of life, the mouth of the righteous. We should be a well of life, just refreshing people and the things that we say. And in verse 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. You know, hatred is such a strong emotion, isn't it? It's a, it's a strong emotion, and it's such a destructive emotion. And hatred doesn't solve any problems. It only causes more strife. And here, but love covers all sins. Now, listen, the Bible doesn't tell us that love covers, and as we also know, the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't say that love covers up sin. You see, there are those who read this and say, see, love covers you know, sin, or love covers a multitude of sins is what the New Testament tells us. And so don't judge me. Don't tell me that I'm doing wrong. Don't tell me that I need to turn to Jesus Christ. You know, just love me the way that I am. Well, I want to love you enough to give you truth. 
and they give you the words of life. They give you the truth of the gospel. And what it means by that love covers a multitude of sin is that, is that we as a family, and we are a family. We are a family. And as we are the family of God, and we're linked to one another, but we're not perfect, are we? There isn't a perfect Christian that's out there. And that means that we will say things that perhaps we shouldn't say, we'll make mistakes, we'll, we'll do things, we'll, we'll sin against each other. And love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, where there is the opportunity of restoring and forgiveness, that's what we should desire, and that's what love is all about. I love you enough to where I'm going to continue to want to travel with you and be your brother in the Lord and have that relationship that is restored. So I am sorry and forgive me and not to hold grudges and all of that. You know, as our own personal families, what family is where we don't have disagreements or we don't, you know, we're not perfect, do we? We all have family stuff. Well, we have family stuff, don't we? And love covers a multitude of sin. That I want to have that restoring relationship, forgiveness. I want to do what's right. I want to go to my brother or my sister and say I was wrong, whatever it may be. And to, re, to forgive and to be one that's open to that. So that's what it means that love, you know, is going to cover all sins. Hatred just stirs up a bunch of strife is what it does. And we're not to be about that as Christians. And wisdom is found, uh, verse 13, in the lips of him who has understanding, but a rod for the back of him who devoids of understanding. In other words, you're just going to get beat up if you don't walk in godly wisdom. It's just going to be hard. And wise people store up knowledge, verse 14, in the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. And the rich man's wealth is a strong city, and the destruction of the poor is their poverty. In verse 15, and the labor of the righteous leads to life and wages of the wicked to sin. Uh, kind of what we're seeing here is when we walk in wisdom and follow God's way, we have direction. And if not, we go astray. And, and, and what we're reading is wise people in verse 14 store up knowledge to continue in that. Keep storing it up. You know, keep growing in that wisdom. In verse 17, he who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. And whoever hides hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. You know, somebody who, you know, oh, brother, you're so wonderful, and then turn around and say, I can't stand that guy. Lying lips, you know, hiding something is what they're doing. Um, whoever spreads slander is a fool. Slander and gossip can be a big problem. In our society is a big problem. We live in a society, we love to slander, we love to gossip. Don't play the fool. In the multitude of words, verse 19, is I got underlined, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lip is wise. Sometimes people will say to you and me, don't they, well, I just speak what's on my mind. Do you know that's not biblical? That we're going to read also where it says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. In other words, you keep talking, you keep talking, you keep talking, and in multitudes of words, sin is not lacking. We need to think about what we're saying. We need to, to be listening. That's why the Lord gave us two ears and one mouth. So that we're wise in what we're saying. Not just going off and, you know, 
I'm just going to say what I think. That's not the wisest way to live. But he who restrains his lips is wise. And the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. In other words, one who speaks wise words and one who speaks godly wisdom, that's valuable. And the heart of the wicked is worth little. And the lips of the righteous feed many, but the fools die for lack of wisdom. In verse 22, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he has no sorrow with it. To do evil is like a sport to a fool. You know, somebody who just likes to stir things up. It's like a sport to them to do evil. But a man of understanding has wisdom. And the fear of the wicked will come upon him and desire of the righteous will be granted. When the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more. But the righteous has the everlasting foundation. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew Gospel chapter 7. Um, and then also what we read in Luke chapter 6. That Jesus said, be the wise one that what? Builds upon the firm foundation. That hears these sayings of mine and does them. That's the one that builds upon the rock. The solid foundation is able to stand. In verse 26, a vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. So is the lazy man to those who send him. In other words, to try to get somebody, you know, who's lazy to do something. It's irritating. Is what's being said here. Don't be lazy, all right? Because it's irritating when somebody wants you to do something. They're depending on you. Man, it's like smoke to the eyes is what he says. All of us go camping. We get smoke in our eyes, and it's very irritating. Verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs days. The years of the wicked will be shortened. The hope of the righteous will be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. So the way of the Lord will give you strength. And God's ways prolong days. And it's not an automatic promise that you're going to live to be 120 years old. But whatever days you live, because we know those who are Christians and love the Lord that died at a young age. But whatever age that you live to be, that you're going to live a good quality life. And you're, you're going to live that abundant life. And, and the wicked, their life is short. And it's empty, and it's not satisfying, and it's hard. In verse 30, the righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not inhabit the earth. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. And so we'll end it there. But again, the whole chapter here is talking about think before you speak. Speak wisdom. Speak righteous things. So I want to give you an acronym, okay? Think before you speak. T. Is it truthful? Is it thankful? H. Is it helpful? I. Is it inspiring? N. Is it necessary? And then K, is it kind? All right? So think. Is it truthful? T. Is it helpful? H. Is it inspiring? I. Is it necessary? N. And then is it kind? K. And as we follow that, and as we just follow how the Lord desires for us to speak, to be a well of life, you're going to be a blessing to others. So, Father, we thank you for our time tonight in your word. Maybe we didn't get as far as we wanted, but that's okay. We got as far as you wanted us to and and lord these verses are very important to consider we could spend a lot of time exhausting these verses but lord um, sometimes they don't even really need comment it's very clear to us 
that you desire for us to grow in wisdom, to grow in knowledge of Jesus Christ and the Word of God, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. He isn't just a truth. He is truth. and He is the way. And Lord, I just pray because I know there's a lot here in the sanctuary and out in the coffee shop and those listening on live stream. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. That God's word says this, that all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. We can't earn our way to heaven. We can't be good enough. That's what the world says, but your word says no. Can't do it. That's why Jesus came and died on a cross. So that you would be forgiven. That's why he came to this world, because of his love for you. And when Jesus was on that cross, he took all of your sins upon himself. He died for you and in place of you. He took all of your sins upon himself and made atonement. The Son of God, who came because of his love for you, died in place of you and for you. He took the wrath that you and I deserved, the punishment of death, and then he cried out, it is finished. Right before he breathed his last, I've done the work, I've paid the price. He was put into the grave and he rose again. The tomb is empty. There's no body there. He conquered sin and death. He proved that he was the son of God. And now we come in faith, just simply receiving him, giving him our hearts. That's what he wants. Just as we saw on Sunday, that woman known as a notorious sinner came and fell at Jesus' feet. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And as we put our faith and trust in him, and as you turn to him, recognizing your need for him, you can do that right where you're sitting in your heart. He promises forgiveness and eternal life. Will you do that? Today's the day of salvation. The harvest is coming. Today is the day to have a new beginning in a relationship with Jesus. It's not about religion. It's about knowing him, walking with him, and receiving his love and forgiveness. And you can pray right where you are. That Jesus, I come to you. I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I thank you for that. Forgive me. And I believe that you rose from the grave and that you're alive. And I thank you for your provision of forgiveness and for your invitation for me to come. And I do that right now. I come and I believe that you are Lord and you are my Savior. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for dying for me, for loving me and giving me this new beginning. I want to know you and I want to walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer when we finish the service and I'm praying with people, can let me know that you made that decision but tonight I pray for all of us that we would desire to walk with you Lord and in your ways and continue to grow in the knowledge and love and wisdom of Jesus Christ 
I pray that we would realize that as we do, that that's where we experience life. doesn't mean that we won't have problems, challenges, trials, or difficulties. But it means that your way is true. And Lord, we have you and your ways are right. We can experience the joy and peace and comfort and strength that we need because we're walking in your ways. Bless everyone here now as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen.